1: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Nate who's up across the 40. He swings it to the 45 to 50. Down the sidelines. He goes Nate he He's got all sorts of daylight. Let's get Eskimos for the win. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by CAM LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 k
2: What's going on in the NHL tonight? The Devils lead the Senators 2-1. That is after the first period, early in the second, the Islanders, who are 11-0-1 in their last 12, leading the Maple Leafs 2-0. And seven minutes left in the first period. The Capitals lead the Flyers 1-0. The Caps with a 12-3 advantage in shots on goal. Later, Dallas in Calgary. The Stars are here Saturday afternoon to play your Edmonton Oilers. And at 8 o'clock tonight, the Chicago Blackhawks will meet the Vegas Golden Knights. The Edmonton Oilers were not good last night against the San Jose Sharks. They were uh, dominated early and uh, never really showed any... uh, any uh, inkling that they were going to get back in the game wound up losing 6-3 to the Sharks. So it is 20 games down for the Edmonton Oilers. They are 12-6-2 for 26 points. And you can kind of even split that into two sections. They started hot, which was very helpful, 7-1 in their first eight, a, uh, a much more pedestrian 5-5-2 and since then, but that is the value of getting those points in the bank early. They lead the Pacific Division. Their points percentage, I'm going to go by points percentage for their overall ranking because teams have played a, d- a different amount of games, so sometimes the point comparison isn't, uh, isn't that direct. Their points percentage is 650, which is sixth in the NHL, so that's a pretty good points perc- percentage. Sixth in the National Hockey League. They are on pace for 106 points which would actually top the 103 they earned in 1617, 17 the only time in the last 13 years that they've made the postseason so we'll break this down a little bit tonight and i'm happy to hear from you you can call 780-496-0063 and that is also the number to text i, I want to remind you that many of you are, are are frequent texters to the show and i appreciate it appreciate that. We're uh, making it easy for everybody now. The number to call and the number to text is the same one. 780-496-0063. And I'll take you a little bit behind the scenes of how the technology works at 630 Shed. That number goes to Brian Hall's phone. And then he decides which ones to forward to the talk show's. So he'll quickly take a look at your text, get or talk to you on the phone, get a gist of what you want to say, and then he'll bump you to know, whatever program is on if he thinks it's appropriate. So that's kind of how we've refined things with that one phone number here. My name is Reed Wilkins at six oh nine. Thanks a lot for tuning in, and uh, the Maple Leafs. Uh, just getting on the board here with a goal by Kapanen, so uh, Islanders up two-one on the Leafs as they could try to continue their uh, long point streak tonight. So here, a, a lot of interesting storylines for the Orthers and a lot of different different ways to look at the at the season so far. And I, I would I would I would hope I would think anyway most of you would be happy with the record. There are always flaws, there are always things to criticize, but you know again you got Almost two-thirds of your points. The pace, if you can keep that up, and easier said than done, the pace is certainly a playoff spot. The pace is one that w- should earn you home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs I- if you keep it up. The Oilers are, are doing better than I thought they would be able to. Uh, I, I mean, I think I had them at at 88 points in my preseason prediction and probably following ju- just short of a playoff spot. They, they've, they've put some of this in the bank where... I think the Oilers can survive one poor two-week stretch of the season. Like they did when they made the playoffs three years ago. When they started seven and one, they got it in November, they had a five-game losing streak, and then they got it back on track, had a pretty good December pretty good January. They were 500 in February playing a lot of road games and then they finished the season with a 12-2 and two burst. So they had two really good bursts. They had one really bad section and they wound up making the playoffs and finishing eighth overall. So, you know, they can survive a stretch now, they, they would drop in the standings, obviously, but they can sur- they could survive a stretch where you might lose four out of six or five out of seven or something like that. But it can't happen again. And last year it kept happening. They, they had four bad stretches last season and only a couple of good ones. So that's kind of how I look at that. The positives. I'm going to start with the goaltending because that was my biggest question mark all summer and into the preseason and it's it's a huge positive. It, it doesn't, it, especially with Koskinen. If you look at where where the numbers are now, especially with Koskinen, it is a massive checkmark. His one loss record seven one and one. And I know some of you don't emphasize wins for goaltenders as much as other people. You look at save percentage. He has a nine twenty eight save percentage. That's sixth in the NHL. So, if you got a goalie sixth in the NHL in save percentage, you're going to win more often than not. You're going to have confidence more often than not. You'll have confidence playing in front of them. So Koskinen so far is knocking it out of the park. I think they're going to maintain this system where neither goaltender will play more than two games in a row. I'm curious to see what they'll do tomorrow, because based on the rotation that has been in place most of the time, it would be another game for Smith. He did allow six last night against San Jose. I wouldn't fault Mike Smith on any of the goals because the Oilers were not doing a good job defensively. There were several deflections in front that are really tough for a goaltender to stop. But I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. Because Koskinen has been the better of the two goaltenders. Smith has the best game. Smith has the best individual game where he stopped 51 out of 52 in the overtime win over the Pittsburgh Penguins but Koskinen has been the, 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 the better goaltender. I don't, but I don't want to discount what Smith has done. I think his presence has helped the team. I think his presence has helped Koskinen. His one-loss record is not as good at 5-5-1. Five, five uh, I think he's you know been hurt by the Oilers probably playing a couple of their, their poorest games of the season in front of him, including last night. His save percentage, again, because of yesterday, has dropped to 9-13. Still, that's 29th in the league. So if you say there's 31 starting goaltenders, 31 number one goaltenders in the NHL, if you have two guys in the top 29, that's a positive for the goaltending. And don't forget, and you probably know this because I, I used it all summer as well, neither guy was in the top 31 last year when it came to save percentage. So the worry was you're you're going to have two goaltenders on your roster who based on last season both performed like backup goaltenders and and really kind of average backup goaltenders not even top end backups. Well this year they're at least both in the in the top 31 and Smith is 6th in save percentage. So the goaltending very very good. The special teams, high hopes for the power play because you have three really good offensive players on it, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, Seidel. You added James Neal as a net front guy chase on has played in that role as well the goals haven't been going in for him how good could the power play be well so far very good 28.1 percent second in the nhl so you give the power play a check mark i felt that if the power play was clicking even at a reasonable rate it could be around a 10th in the league you know top 12 top 10 maybe top eight so far it's second so that's been very good That isn't a huge surprise to me. The other special team is a huge surprise because the penalty killing the last two years has stunk. It's cost the Oilers games. It's cost the Oilers momentum. Uh, You've had players who aren't comfortable as penalty killers trying to work as penalty killers. And it's just been really, really bad. I mean, last one in one year... And second last the other year, or the last two years. The Edmonton Oilers, who would have thought we'd be saying this on November 13th? The Edmonton Oilers are fourth in the NHL in penalty killing at 86.4%. Last couple years, we've talked a lot about them losing games specifically because they couldn't kill a penalty or two or three. Well, this year, at the end of a lot of nights, you said they've won games specifically or in large part because they've killed penalties. And Sunday in Anaheim is a great example because they went 5-for-5 on the penalty kill, and they went 4-for-4 on the penalty kill in the first 13 minutes of the second period. The the Oilers penalty-killing crew the last couple years lose that game in the first 13 minutes of the second period. Not this season. So that is another big plus for the team. Some things maybe not going so well, we'll discuss when we get back. Happy to hear from you as well. You can call and text 780-496-0063. Inside sports on 630 Chat.
1: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by CAM LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962.
2: All right, Good to have you tuning in tonight. Coming up on 6.30, Chet, tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show game at 7, Oilers against the Avalanche. On Saturday afternoon, the face-off show is at 12.30. The game is at 2 against the Dallas Stars as the uh, Maple Leafs score to tie the game against the Islanders, 2-2 in the second period. And then Sunday morning, 9.30, countdown to kickoff, East final at 11.00. Eskimos taking on the Tiger Cats. Mike Moriali will join us in the next half hour of the show. Color analyst for the Tiger Cats, uh, former player, obviously, himself. He's also uh, a bigwig with the Canadian Elite Basketball League, so I'm sure we'll uh, touch on that. Pretty good season for them. You can uh, text 780-496-0063. That, that's right, our text line is now the same as our uh, phone number. Kellen, uh, off the top of the show there, mm. I... Uh, I said that the reason that changed is because uh, they're all wired through Brian Hall's phone. Yes, and then forwarded on to us. I hate to do this because it tends to—I mean, jokes that have to be explained, I guess, aren't that funny. But actually, we actually have some people very angry that Brian Hall would be uh, would be censoring the calls and texts. I saw that. Just, just a note for everybody. You are very gullible that that is not the case <laughs> I, I I'm not even sure what else to say i I'm sorry I made you that angry, but part of me isn't sorry that you are that gullible and so humorless. <laughs> My God <laughs> Well, why wouldn't you want to talk to Brian Hall? Like, if I had to talk to Brian Hall before I got to do something else, gladly. It's like, hey, you got to uh, call this number, you know, to order some some delivery. But you get to talk to Brian Hall first. I'd be like, great, I want to order from that restaurant specifically. alright nine six zero zero six three. So we're talking about the Edmonton Oilers 20 games into the year. One quarter of the way through the season. What are some concerns for the team? Well, it's, it's a concern that I, I'm at the point now where I don't think it's going to go away. And I'm starting to think it's a problem that can't be solved. with this roster, and, and that is the depth scoring. You know, 20 games is a is a pretty good chance to get a look at players, get a look at how the team is working together, how they're playing under a coach. And I just mentioned some of the good things about the team, the goaltending, the special teams, and they have cut down the goals against and all that kind of stuff. But the scoring just has not been spread around like we were hoping that it would be. And, and again, it's it's not that, you need the bottom six players to have five goals at this point in the season, but you'd maybe like to have some guy with three and a bunch of guys with two and maybe a few other guys with one, and, and they all add up. But we're kind of in the same situation last year with a, a small group of players doing most of the scoring. Last year, Drysettle Nugent, Hopkins, and McDavid scored over half of the Oilers' total goals. That's a ton. This year, Drysettle, McDavid, Neal, and Cassian have scored 44 out of the 60 Oilers' goals. Now, I'll say this as a positive. You have Cassian into that group. So, I mean, he's on pace for for over 20 goals this season. That's good. Neal's going to be a streaky scorer. Maybe he's still going to be stuck on 12 in a couple weeks. But throughout his career, he's gone on bursts, and all of a sudden he'll get four in a week and then might go quiet. So I'm comfortable putting him in that group, and, and I'm comfortable putting Cassian in that group because he's done enough now for about 60 games that he looks like he can kind of be a a secondary contributor. Nugent Hopkins has three goals. It's not a reach to think that he's going to start connecting a little bit more. So there could be five players who score regularly or semi-regularly for the Oilers, which again is an improvement on last season. But then you're still kind of missing a top six forward that can score, and you're still missing a third line that can score. Rob and I talked about it last night. Shane, Archibald, and Kara have actually been pretty effective as a line at times. And I, and I think the best Kara has looked is when he's been playing with those other two guys. And Shane and Archibald on the penalty kill, I think, have been excellent. I, I'd be comfortable saying not just very good, but excellent. But five on five, that's still ideally a, a really good fourth line. And then on the other line, you've had Haas, you've had Grandlin, you'd have, you've had Patrick Russell, you have, you've had Gagné, you've had Nygaard cycling through there back in the lineup last night. So I still think the Oilers are missing a true third line. Because you, you can survive if your fourth line doesn't score a lot. If they check and they have penalty killers on it and they're reliable. So that's a concern for me. If the Oilers get into tighter checking games, and it will tighten up as the season goes on, and, and if, and we're looking a long way ahead, you know, if, if they make the playoffs, that's, that's a, re- a really concerning hole for me. If you have a game that's 1-1, and they're on McDavid, and they're on dry and there's just no room, can another line find something? And so far, they haven't really been able to find much. Who would have had this at this point in the season? The best bottom six scorer is Gaetan Haas, who has two goals, and he spent part of the year in the Myers already. And I I look at how the, that group of players has played, and I I don't really say to myself anymore, somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to have a little burst and get back on pace to have a ten goal season. You know, a quarter of the way in, I I I just don't feel that that's coming. Again, some good things. Shane and Archibald, pretty good. Killing penalties. They actually had a good shorthanded chance last night. I like Patrick Russell's game as a fourth liner. He's smart. He plays in a straight line. He uh, gets to the areas of the ice where he can keep plays alive, but but he's not a finisher. Kara's been a player discussed a lot. He can be maddeningly madding, inconsistent at times, but I, I, again, I think he looks best with Shane and Archibald but I'm not looking at anybody in that group and saying, okay, it's coming. And, and Granlin really is the one guy where you're saying, man, what's, what's going on with him? Because he got the biggest contract of the bunch in the bottom six and, and he's been a healthy scratch sometimes. So that's still a huge concern. You got Dreisaitl, McDavid, Neil, and Cassian, 44 of the 60 goals for the Oilers this season. Roster moved by the Oilers today. Caleb Jones has been called up from Bakersfield. He has 10 points in 13 games on the season. Been looking good for the Condors. Brandon Manning has been placed on injured reserve with a hand injury. He had the fight last night against the San Jose Sharks. So Caleb Jones could get an opportunity here with the Oilers. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Mike Moriali getting you ready for the East Final on Sunday when we get back.
1: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by CAM LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962.
2: All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Here's what's going on in the NHL. After the first, the Capitals lead the Flyers 1-0. Islanders up 3-2 on the Maple Leafs late second period and about six minutes left in the second period. Devils up 2-1 on the Senators. Later, Stars and Flames and the Blackhawks will play... The Golden Knights. We have an Oilers game tomorrow against the Colorado Avalanche. We'll get to some more of your uh, text on the Oilers' first 20 games of the season after our uh, next guest. Remember the uh, text line is now the same as the phone line 780-496-0063. Raptors play later taking on Portland. Houston's Justin Verlander wins the AL Cy Young. Jacob deGrom from the Mets wins the NL Cy Young. Cody Fajardo Back practicing somewhat with the Rough Riders today. He missed the season-ending win over, over Edmonton with an oblique injury. He uh, says he's going to be on the field Sunday against Winnipeg in the West Division final. That's a big story. I think that turns the tide in Winnipeg's favour if Fajardo can't go or uh, isn't 100%. Look, there's uh, there's no doubt who's the favourite in the East final on Sunday. Hamilton was 15-3. and Edmonton was eight and ten. Yes, the Eskimos looked good against Montreal, but uh, Hamilton played Edmonton twice, and they beat them pretty badly. For six of the eight quarters, they went head to head. Edmonton almost finished off a dramatic comeback at Commonwealth, and then uh, the Tiger Cats really beat up the Eskimos in Hamilton a couple of weeks later. To discuss that and many other things, this guy's a very interesting guest. Always good to have him on the show. It's Mike Moriale. Mike, how are you doing? Not
0: bad, guys. How you doing?
2: I'm doing very well. It's uh, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, you're of course a former Hamilton Tiger Cat now, an analyst for the team, and and uh, you're doing some basketball stuff as well, we've, which we've had you on the show about in the past too. So I want to I want to touch on that because it was a pretty fun first season for the CEBL and the Edmonton Stingers. But let me start by by going back, Mike, 1999 Tiger Cats. You were on the team, the last Grey Cup champion uh, championship for that city for that franchise you know it's it's been an eight nine team league most of the time i i i think it's reasonable to think you know once every decade or decade and a half you you might be able to get a championship how how have fans and the organization dealt with the drought for the tiger cats
0: well you know what uh it's it's been tough it's it's in one respect 20 years has flown by which is crazy uh in the other respect you know the cats last have, have gone to the the great cup uh you know that 2013-2014 season obviously uh came up short it's it's time and uh i i think what you know the fans are seeing on the field this year is uh, is pretty remarkable you got a team that hasn't lost at home that's a 15 and three record, and lit, if you look at, it probably could be 17 and one. To be quite honest with you, the only real game that they they actually lost, where I don't think they played uh, well, was in Montreal uh, early in the season, and kind of got run over by uh, by Standback and that team. But it's uh, it's an exciting time in Hamilton. It's uh, fun to be part of it and call the games. And at the end of the day, it comes down to you to win one more. And the opponent coming in is not going to be easy. There's some great storylines, as you know, going into this game.
2: I want to touch on those. I want to flash back, though, to uh, to 99 in Vancouver, 32-21 over Calgary. Second year in a row you guys played in the Grey Cup. Did last year's game figure into that season or that that 99 game at all or like is oh, that just something yeah. we talk about it, it did eh? no
0: no no That's. Uh, i mean in in 98 we lost the last second field goal uh it was a tough one in winnipeg but you know at that point we were kind of i don't think we were expected to be there we were four and 14 the year before or two and 16 i can't remember it wasn't good put it that way uh in 97 and then we had our big turnaround and of course ronnie and danny and darren coming into hamilton was a huge part of that uh, but it was unfinished business. So Ronnie uh, uh, Lancaster basically started training camp in 99, put on the tape from last year and us losing, and then he said, you know, shut off the, uh, who knows what it was at that time, VCR, or whatever it may have been, <laughs> right. and said, unfinished business, let's go to work. And we did. And going into that Great Cup week, we knew that uh, we were going to pull it out. It was just that feeling, that aura, and, and I get that. So we had a great moment uh, earlier on this year. Rob Hitchcock went into the Wall of Honor at uh, Tim Hortons Field, and we it culminated or uh, coincided with a uh, reunion, twenty year reunion of the '99 Grey Cup. We had about thirty guys out. And had a chance to talk to this year's team and there's a lot of similarities uh times have changed of course as as you know from covering teams of, of different decades but you know i that sense of family and i think it a lot of it starts with uh, orlando steinauer who was a member of our 99 great cup team as well
2: i want to ask you one more question about that game it was 21 nothing at halftime it's <laughs> it's my experience that most most athletes respect their opponents and and psych themselves up to play a game that's going to come down to the final minute. I mean, obviously, you want to have a big lead if, if somebody's going to have one. I'll, but I want to ask it to you this way, Mike. Not only what was it like having a 21 nothing lead at halftime in the Grey Cup, but then having to sit there with it for 40 minutes because the Grey Cup halftimes are obviously longer than a regular mm-hmm. season game.
0: It was it was interesting. I mean, we, we kind of, it was just part of what our expectation was. I, I don't know exactly the stats, but I'm pretty sure, I think their net offense in the first half was like seven yards. And you're talking against a high-powered, Dave Dickinson-led Calgary team, and I don't think they had a first down until a few minutes left in the second quarter. So, you know, defensively, the guys did their job. But, you know, offensively, we were putting the ball in the end zone. And, yeah, you, you kind of, that second half dragged on a bit you just want you can see the finish line but you still know you got 30 minutes and we threw up 21 so we're kind of hoping we can hold on to it which of course we did but um it was a dominant effort from us and it really came a lot of it just was the belief that we could do it and it was more of an internal thing and i always believe that locker rooms win champions uh championships so uh the tie cats this year are, are i would say up there top of the class classes that, that's concerned and, uh, you know, its I, I think it's chance to, to uh, create history once again 20 years later.
2: You need a good quarterback in football. I'll ask you this. What did you know about Dane Evans before the season, and what have you learned about him during the season?
0: Well, we knew he was a gunslinger. We knew he had a great arm. We knew that he had a pretty good grasp of the offense, and that's from time spent uh, the previous year under June Jones. And then, of course, uh, you know, with Tommy Condell, but we didn't know what type of player he would be, you know, thrust into that situation. So his first kind of full start was in Saskatchewan, and it was touch and go to start that game. But then you kind of saw it click. And when he gets going and when he gets hot, he has these flashes of just brilliance and, you know, pretty methodical drives, hits every pass, just feels very comfortable. We saw that kind of he'd get a you know a second quarter and fourth quarter kind of uh run going and then the next game he'd get maybe a half and then as the season went on he would get three quarters and then he was pulling out full game runs i mean he just uh he's got it he understands it his poise he doesn't get rattled um he's very young you know considering you know uh, he hasn't a lot of playing time under his belt certainly not in the CFL and i think a lot of his his poise and confidence and just uh you know, recognition of the offense comes because he was coached by his dad growing up. So his dad, I think, is a huge influence on him, a good grounding factor for him. Unlike some parents, can can make their kids go the other way. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, he just gets it, and he's just a, a great person as well. Like if you go and communicate with him, talk to him. It's always yes sir, no sir. Very very nice guy. Very um, you know uh, warm, and the guys love him, and that's really what it's all about.
2: Mike Moriali joining us on Inside Sports, color analyst for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, former player and Grey Cup champion with the team. Eskimos and Tiger Cats coming up on Sunday. Orlando Steinauer, you mentioned him as uh, head coach. He's a finalist for uh, Coach of the Year, and he was one of those uh, guys. He 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 played when he was an assistant. He was often touted as the guy who would someday uh, be a head coach. You, you can't argue with the job he's done this season. What's his biggest impact on the team been?
0: Well, I think, you know, his calming influence, um, guys really respect him. They really like him. They trust him. And he's assembled a great coaching staff. I think, you know, bringing in Mark Mark Washington was big um, because he's kind of in that same kind of era. So, you know, I played against Mark and always thought he was just a tremendous player, very smart, very intelligent. He's brought that to the Tie Cats. Um, You know, he, you know, Orlando's basically surround himself with good people people he trusts tommy condell of course coming back they coached together when he was assistant uh, in hamilton the both of them and we always knew Steiny would be kind of the next great coach you just when he played he was like a player coach no different than kahari or no different than Mike O'Shea or or guys that played even did jason mosh you, you get and understand that they know the game a lot better than the majority of the people so um i, I think there's a there's a family uh you know atmosphere there they certainly the guys love orlando and he loves going to work and make these guys you know happy and make sure they're in the right place at the right time
2: you, we were talking about motivation from a previous season last year trevor harris not playing for the eskimos playing for ottawa through six touchdown passes in a playoff game against hamilton and ottawa won 46 27 and last week harris was brilliant against montreal is that some sort of a motivation for Hamilton this year what Harris did to them last year or is it different because he's now with a different team?
0: Well, I, I I'm sure it is motivation. I'm sure that defense does not want to get picked apart like uh, they did last year or like they uh, you know the S did against Montreal last week. I look it's a lot different defense. I mean Montreal played a lot of zone and that's crazy because a guy like Trevor Harris Uh, With the type of receivers he has, uh, especially a guy like Greg Ellingson, I mean, it's just find the open spot, sit down, throw the ball. It's pretty much pitch and catch. You won't see that uh, from the Hamilton defense. You're going to see an aggressive defense. They got a great front seven. They've got a great defensive line. They got guys uh, that can then run and cover in the in the backfield. There's not a lot of holes in that defense. So that is probably um you know the challenge the s you're going to face and, and on the flip side i think defensively the s you're going to have their hands full um just based on the big play ability of of the, uh, the hamilton receivers and, and the backs etc they're they're a very dynamic offense but you know the the, the big thing's going to be probably special teams something you know big play here or there could change the outcome but you know trevor harris is the guy to watch out for as is larry dean on defense as is ellingson as is T.J. Gable, so I don't think that the Cats will take the Eskimos lightly, and they haven't seen Trevor Harris this year, so the last they know about Trevor Harris was those six touchdown passes against them, so I'm sure that still hangs over uh, the club a little bit.
2: Well, you mentioned uh, Hamilton's offense, and when I've seen them play this year, I have been wowed at how fast they are. I mean, especially that game they, they beat Edmonton handily, the game in Hamilton, it was just short passes and and then go like is that is that really what drives the hamilton offense is is the speed i'm just curious on, on your perspective because it's blown me away when i've seen them
0: yeah i mean they're they're remarkable to watch because you know they are just big play guys but they're they're not just big play down the field they're big play pass the ball over the over the middle of a five yard under and you take it for 80 yards uh it's it's kind of phenomenal to see when you when you think about it historically what kind of numbers they put up, um, you know, in Hamilton Records, et cetera. They just are so dynamic. They got so many weapons. Uh, Tyrell Sutton is a big addition for them in the backfield. That even helps their receiving core get, open up even more. But you know, with with Tasker back, who is one of the smartest receivers in the whole league, uh, that's a huge uh, dimension that it, that is added because now you can't just key on Banks and Addison, and that's hard enough already. You got Tasker underneath. You've got big playability from some of the other guys that can rotate in. So they are fun to watch. And it's kind of, it's funny because uh, Marshall Ferguson and I, who call the games, we look at each other sometimes. and are like, is this happening? Like it just has happened. And we just now take it for granted that they can be down points and they can rip off 24 points in a row. Uh, they can get up early on guys. They can go 80 yards down the field, uh, long bombs. They can go on unders and little flat routes. And it's uh, it's fun to watch.
2: All right, so I, I gotta ask you this. Um, and you're talking to a lot of Eskimos fans who who still wanna believe and the Eskimos are saying why not us? When we both know the Tiger Cats are favored and how good they are, but what happens in Sunday's game that might have you halfway through the second quarter going, Uh oh.
0: Well, you know what? I, I, I think this is gonna be a great game. I really do. Don't count out the Eskimos. I certainly haven't, um, you know, having played in in big games and especially these kind of you know single elimination playoff games it really is a it's a crapshoot anything can can happen so you have guys on the eskimos that have been there and done that whether they did them with the s or they've done it with other teams uh you know the ellingsons the Harrises have beat hamilton they beat good hamilton defenses so this is not a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination, and if if the S can keep it close and they keep it within a touchdown or even you know get up on them early, uh, I think you're going to see you know Hamilton you know try and do things a little bit different. You know they've been they've been very good at sticking with their game plan, tried and true. And being successful in the long run, um, you know, I think the Eskimos will pose a big challenge. I think having Trevor Harris back there will add a, a, a way different dimension than what they faced uh, with uh, with the previous uh, quarterbacks that they've that they've had to face under the S this year. And uh, it's anybody's game in the playoffs. They're going to have to go against a crowd that's going to be excited and electric, and the weather will probably be just about perfect from what everybody says. So it's going to come down to execution. So, you know, the Eskimos are as good as any other team in the league um, when they play and execute properly. So, you know, whoever's team is prepared uh, and can battle kind of the game within the game because it's going to have its ups and downs and and everything in between. Um, You know, Edmonton's got just as good as a shot as any, and I actually think they have a better shot than Montreal would have had in the same situation.
2: Interesting. Okay. Well, that Edmonton fans are encouraged to hear that. Hey, Mike, I, I love I love talking to you. Uh, i I got to ask you one more though. The Canadian Elite yep. Basketball League, first season's yep. in the books. Uh, I, I know a lot of people got excited about Edmonton Stingers games. The I, I only got to go to one game live, but I I like the pace. I like the athleticism. You know, you know, you're involved obviously uh, w- with the league. Uh, how are you feeling? Where's the league headed?
0: Oh, we're super excited, and uh, you know, Edmonton is is one of those markets that we're really, really pumped about. It has a great basketball history and tradition, so we have a lot of those basketball purists that come out, and some of our entertainment type-seeking people are coming out. If you go to a game, you'll be thoroughly impressed with the, with the talent. The, the talent is tremendous. Um, you know, it's the best basketball you're going to see outside the Raptors, in my opinion. Uh, the game is fast, it's quick, it's electric. That market is going to is going to knock the socks off people this year. I just know it's got a it's got a great schedule coming out. We're going to release that soon. We have another team uh, that we're going to announce on November twentieth, uh, and some other announcements that are specific to Edmonton uh, directly uh, in the next couple weeks. So uh, we're really bullish on Edmonton. We feel that there is a big long uh, history of waiting, and the Stingers uh, are a good team. Uh, we just resigned, or, or they just resigned. The head coach, Jermaine Smalls, today yep. and announced that. So that's a big plus for the team. And, you know, they've done great job getting into the community. They'll continue to do that. They'll be continue to gain more recognition. And I really encourage everybody, uh, you know, to get out to uh, the Expo Center and the Hall D. If no one's been there, uh, it's not the Hall D you remember. When you get in there and you watch a basketball game live, you're so close and intimate. It's one of the coolest uh, venues that we have in the country.
2: I don't know why you can't announce the next team right now. I'm sure I could, but I'm going to hold off to that. I worked too hard on it to give it away right now. Someone told me once uh, that there might be an NHL team involved with getting it going. Can you comment on that?
0: Um, In the future, there is definitely a lot of involvement um, with more than one NHL team or more than one sports, large sports organization. So I think we fit very well into what they are trying to do you know we, we fill up a bunch of dates in the spring and summer so you know those types of sports organizations that are either major tenants in major arenas or that or they or they actually own and manage arenas we are a really good opportunity especially during when we play Um, to be something that they would consider. So we've had those conversations with many similar groups, uh, like you mentioned, and I think the future you will see a bunch of them uh, be part of the CBL. Okay.
2: That's fair. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) thanks for your time, Mike. You're always great to talk to. I mean, you got great memories of playing, an awesome perspective on what uh, might happen on Sunday as well. really appreciate it.
0: Oh, my pleasure. We'll see what happens, and uh, it should be fun.
2: There we go, Mike Morielli, checking in, color analyst for the Hamilton Tiger Cats on their radio broadcast, uh, executive with the Canadian Elite Basketball League, former player himself. Uh, he is a good one to talk to, and you heard him say it. And I don't think he's just uh, paying lip service because he's on in this market. He thinks uh, the Eskimos got a shot. He thinks the Eskimos have a better shot of the upset against Hamilton than Montreal would have. That that is interesting. I want to get to some of your feedback on the Oilers. 20 games into the season, texting 780-496-0063. That's our open line number as well. If you'd like to talk on the good old fashioned telephone, Inside Sports on 630
1: Chat. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chat.
2: All right. Good to have you tuning in tonight. Uh, you can text 780-496-0063. This texter Says uh, the Oilers had a bad game last night. I didn't think they iced their best team. Koskinen was on fire. He should have been in net. Haas has two goals recently and sat. Pearson was on fire and sat. But you know what? Maybe this is it. It's the mom's trip. And I think it's classy The Tippett cycled in players. And this texter goes on to say, as for their play, I'm beyond impressed. Dreisaitl is playing the best in the league right now. McDavid is phenomenal. Bear is an unexpected surprise. He's leading the D. I like Nuge's game. Also, like Koskinen, Neil Cassian, et cetera, we're going to have a good season and will make the playoffs. Anything can happen in the playoffs. If McDavid carries his March-April hot streak into May, I'm telling you, this is going to be a fun year. That is a optimistic texture writing in. Appreciate it. That uh, Jim says the Oilers are absolutely missing a third line. And Rod says, Hey, Reed, just thinking about your perspective on the Oilers. And unfortunately, you're right. My question is, with what they have now, is it sustainable to make the playoffs? Rod, to me that's the thing because I I think we've already seen a little bit of a drop off in terms of results. I think most nights the effort and the commitment has been pretty consistent. 5-5-2 5-5-2 five, five, in their last 12. you got to be a little better than that over a 12-game stretch. But I, I, I am optimistic they can hang around. I, I don't think they're going to finish first in the division, but I think they can take this deep into the season and be in contention for a playoff spot.
1: But uh, we, I think we share some of the same concerns. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.